Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado, also known as the voice connecting women veterans nationwide. This podcast is for anyone connected with the military, from veterans, male and female, military spouses, military brats, even parents who may have children who are in the military. As an Air Force veteran, I understand the trials and triumphs that women veterans go through in service and out of service. And so I wanted to find a way that I could put it out there into the airwaves and let everyone know what we're going through and find a way and a solution to what's happening to us in the service. I also like to highlight these women who are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're bosses in their business. And so I hope that you will follow me, you will share, and you will subscribe to this podcast, which comes out every week on Tuesdays. And as always, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Welcome sisters in service to another segment of the podcast. This is one that I've been doing um, with military families with special needs kids. And this is my first one with my guest, Kelly Imey. And she's actually active duty guard. So we get a chance to speak with her a little bit. So Kelly, welcome to Sisters in Service. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'm super excited because the other people I've talked to were either a veteran or they worked for a veteran service organization. So you're the, you're my first activity. <laughs> so welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, so Kelly, you um, are in the Air Force. You're actually guard, correct? Yes, I'm Air National Guard. Mm-hmm. And you were in the Air Force. And so I always ask people this question, did you pick the Air Force or did the Air Force pick you? I picked the Air Force. So my journey in the military started quite a long time ago. Um, I'm not a military brat per se, but everyone around me, uncles, grandparents, grandmother, grandfathers, all had been in the military. And my dad was too young for Vietnam. So I kind of missed that. But the military was always there. And I had actually almost joined the Navy. I had gotten all the way through MEPS. I had you know, gotten as far as raising my right hand to be commissioned in the Navy. And I talked with a mentor and he said, you want to wait, just don't make this decision now, just wait. And I did. And then 9-11 happened and I joined the Air Force and haven't looked back since. Wow. So it's interesting you said that because I, I'm retired Air Force. I almost went in the Navy. Here's why. Because I thought their dress whites were amazing. <laughs> And the recruiter was like, you know, you don't wear those all the time, right? <laughs> and they're a bear to wash. <laughs> so what was it about the Navy that was that that pulled you that way, at least in the beginning? So um, my specialty is psychiatric nursing. And of all the different branches, that recruiter, the Navy recruiter said, we promise you can stay in your specialty. And the other recruiters at that time, and it was, again, pre-9-11 and and, and all that had did not give me that same good feeling. They're like, oh, no, a nurse is a nurse. You're going to go. You'll be in the ER. You'll be doing this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't do any of that stuff. I talk to crazy people and I love it. And <laughs> maybe just like, we'll let you do that. And you get to do it on a ship. And I'm like, 
wait a second, I have a deathly fear of the ocean. At the time, I don't have that anymore. But at the time I did, I'm like, oh my God, what am I thinking? No, no. (laughs) Stop. And by the time I joined the Air Force, they're like, oh no, we absolutely need psych nurses. We definitely want you in and you will get to stay in your specialty. And I'm like, oh, I found my people. Absolutely. Yeah. A guy told me, you know, the recruiter was like, you know, look, you've been Air Force all this time as a military brat. Just He pretty much just told me to stay in my lane. And I did. And I'm glad I did, you know, because it was familiar to me. And yeah, being on the, on that much water. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a, ch- I think it's cool until you see all that water and go, huh. Can I change my mind, please? <laughs> all right, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your kids. I know we chatted briefly and you said that you had two kids that were on the, the spectrum um, out of the three that you have. Yeah. Did you have your kids while you were active duty and what kind of resources were available to you? Or did you know what resources were available to you at that time? So, um, so yeah, I've got three kiddos, 14 year old boy, and then 12 year old twins, boy, girl twins. And I was regular air force. So reg F uh, when my first son was born and when he was about four or five months old, I transitioned to the reserve. Uh, that was a multifaceted decision. Um, some of it was our ops tempo in behavioral health at the time was so high. Um, I had just gotten back from a deployment, had my son and they were already going to send me again. And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Um, my husband's military as well. He's, um, active guard also. And like something's got to give, we want to stay here in Colorado. We want to have a stable family life. And so I went reserve, great reserve units. And at the time we didn't know that anything was wrong um, with Kai, with my oldest, you know, he was a quiet baby. He was our first baby. We did all the neurotic parent things, you know, make your own food, cloth diapers, (laughs) like full Colorado hippie. Um, And we taught him baby sign. So we didn't know anything was wrong. Um, I did end up deploying again uh, when he was really little and I came back and got pregnant with the twins. So, you know, the old joke of every time the husband goes away and he comes back from deployment, the wife gets pregnant. No, it's the opposite. Every time I deploy, I come back and get pregnant. My husband's like, you're not allowed to go go get deployed anymore. All right. Or, you know, we can do a surgery, you know, So then I had the, had the twins and, um, even though I was a reservist, um, I was activated locally, um, with air force space commands. So I was active guard or sorry, active reserve a good chunk of the time, um, stable home life right there at Peterson. Um, you know, we were able to stay local and have family support. And then it was about the time that the twins were, maybe six months or so um, we were trying to transition um, Kai into like the next room at Montessori. Uh, They went to daycare at Montessori and the, the preschool, I guess they considered it preschool. The preschool teachers were like, well, we we can't transition him because he's not talking yet. I'm like, yeah, but he's, he's fluent in, in sign. Like he uses almost 200 signs and our pediatrician hadn't given us any indication that anything was wrong. Um, you know, he'd had tubes in his ears for ear infection. So we knew he could hear, we knew all that. And they're like, no, he should be speaking words. So, um, 
the state of Colorado has a Head Start program. I think many states do. And so we were referred to Head Start and the gal came out and did an assessment. And she said, I think something's up. I don't 100% know yet. And she noticed some of the same behaviors in Kai that she noticed in his younger brother, Orion. Um, some of the things, the, the way he looked at things, the way he just looked around and we got help from her for probably a three more, three or four months. She was coming to the house, doing some speech therapy, doing some just interaction with Kai. And she wasn't able to make the diagnosis, but she goes, I, I think we have the A word here. I'm like, autism? autism? I mean, I, I worked, I worked in child psych, you know, before I joined the air force, um, I worked on a very acute, um, child psychiatric floor in Virginia, uh, adolescents and, and younger kids. And we rarely got children with autism. And when we did it, nothing presented like what I was seeing in my son. So I really didn't have a whole lot of familiarity with it. And right around the time she was saying it might be the A word. I got picked up for air command and staff college and we moved to Alabama um, in Alabama. That's when we got the formal diagnosis by a psychologist. Um, so I was still active reserve. So active duty, but in the reserve. Right. And when we, we had her look at both boys. And so basically we got the double whammy um, in November of 2012. What does that do to, you as a family, you know what I mean? It's because, you know, you said you work with kids before, but it's different when it's your children. And so did that affect you differently? It did because, you know, you immediately go to what did I do wrong? What, you know, I didn't drink during pregnancy. I didn't use coffee during pregnancy. I didn't have sushi during pregnancy. You know, you went through all the things. Absolutely. The, the twins birth was fully to term. You know, I had no issues during either one of my pregnancies um, to term normal, you know, regular births, not even C-sections like the textbook um, healthy throughout all those things. And so I'm like, well, I can't really blame myself. So I looked at my husband. I'm like, well, you do know it's the Y chromosome, right? So I guess it's your fault. And so we had a running joke about that. Um, like, ah, not moms. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> um, we use humor a lot to try to diffuse. But as a mom, as a parent, you know, there's not really a good handbook for, for how to deal with children generally because you're with them 24 seven, except when you're at work or they're at school. It's different when you're a grandparent or a babysitter, um, you know, you can give them back, shake them up, give them back. But, but when they're yours, like, all the responsibility comes down to you. And all I could remember thinking was, okay, all right. So now we have to, so, so we have to manage this. So what do we need to do to manage it? And I was fortunate in my flight, um, one of, um, I, there was an army guy in my flight and his son had autism and he goes, Oh, we, and his son was about the same age, maybe about a year older than Kai said, well, let me tell you all the things you need to enroll in this and you need to do this and you need to ask for this and started giving me this laundry list. I'm like, Oh, I can work with checklists because that's, you yes. know, organize, organize yes. my life around checklists and I'll deal with the feelings later. 
And so that's kind of what we did. You know, we called up TRICARE, we, we learned about EFMP, and then we were denied EFMP because I was a reservist. And I said, well, the, the AFI says that active duty gets the benefit. And they're like, well, you're not active duty. I'm like, well, yes, I am. Cause I'm here right now with you. Here's the orders that show I'm active duty. They're like, well, you're in the reserve. We can't help you. And so I went through this battle for most of the time that I was at ACSC. Yes, I am. I mean, it, it got up to, you know, Oh, sixes, one stars, and I never got anywhere with it. It was really frustrating. Um, and it's one of the things I'm pushing, pushing, pushing to, to work to fix in the, reserve component guard and reserve together is that whole you're not eligible oh yes we are and and you need to help us so so that was its own thing not being able to get enrolled in efmp um but all the other different benefits and the different therapies alabama was a a bit of a wasteland you know 10 years ago it's it's better now from what i hear but 10 years ago i mean there was one aba therapist who lived 40 miles away and she came and um, saw our boys once a week for two hours. And we didn't even get that benefit started until six months after our initial diagnosis. The wait time for a developmental pediatrician was 10 months, three hours away. We never actually made it to see them because we PCS before um, we could get in. So, and that, that had nothing to do with being guard or reserve. That was simply what was so for anyone stations. That's just what was available. You either like it or you don't. Yeah. And so, so for Kai, it was really challenging. Um, He was old enough to be in the local school system and uh, we had a, he was four at the time. So he was in a preschool and we had a wonderful preschool teacher who really did her best to, to work with him with what she had. And then Orion was at the CDC with his twin sister. And I forget what the reasoning was. There was some reasoning about my status as a reserve member that the early intervention folks, um, were not able initially to work with my son in the CDC. And it was so frustrating. I'm like, you're telling me that me and another person doing the exact same job, both active duty, our kids are in the same place and you can help this kid and not my kid. No, it doesn't make no, sense. No, 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 no. It doesn't we make have sense. to figure a way around this. And even those ladies were like, well, this is just stupid. So they figured out a way that they could come into the CDC classroom and start some speech therapy and occupational therapy with Orion, um, which honestly was, was a godsend. I didn't, I don't know what we would have done with him um, because he had so many issues. We would get calls from the CDC and you have to come pick him up and we're having tantrums and he doesn't talk. And it, it was just, you know, this, this cycle. And thankfully my husband, he was teleworking for his job in Colorado. So we were all able to be together, but he was the one that filled most of those calls. But I'll tell you, it was, um, I look back to those times now um, that a lot of the craziness we were dealing with wasn't because our kids were feral. Like we used to joke, we have feral children. Like we just don't know what to do. They're feral was because they had unmanaged autism and we really didn't know what to do. Right. You know, it, didn't present at all how I understood as a psych nurse dealing with autism in an acute psychiatric facility. Does autism show up differently in different kids? 
they present with this, it's got to be autism, or is it, can it be all over the place? And you have to kind of narrow it down. So, so yes to both of your questions. So from a, from a DSM-5 perspective, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, um, there are specific criteria for diagnosing autism spectrum disorder. So, so yes, there are some things that um, a psychologist, psychiatrist, pediatrician will look for, but there is a saying that if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. Um, even my boys present differently in their sensory issues, their um, emotional issues, their social understanding, um, their cognitive development. Our older son is more profoundly disabled. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the term high functioning versus low functioning because that implies something. Both of my boys are on the spectrum. Both of them are grade level cognitive intelligence. So we don't have any um, cognitive delays, which can right. happen with autism. Typically people say, oh, that's high functioning. Mm, no, they're cognitive, cognitively on grade level. My 14 year old still carries a stuffed animal with him everywhere. You can't tell me that that's high functioning in today's society right. when a 14 year old carries a stuffed animal around and interacts with people using that stuffed animal because interacting with the world in any other way is really challenging for him. Um, whereas our, my younger boy, he's extremely verbal. Um, he's very precocious. He, he taught himself to read when he was little using his tablet. We had um, books that would read to them. And one, when he started talking at the age of four, he just started by reading road signs. We didn't even know he could read because he couldn't talk. And he just started blurting out road signs. We're like, what? <laughs> I remember we were driving down the street and all of a sudden he said something like pastry shop. And we're like, what? <laughs> Where did that and come from? Who did that come from? And we couldn't figure it out. And, and he is very, very intelligent. He's extremely bright. Um, and again, his verbal skills and his reading skills are kind of off the charts, but it took a while to get there. So you'll look at both boys and people will say, yeah, we were wondering if your oldest might have autism just because of the way he presents and the way he holds himself. Whereas right. Orion, like, oh, he has autism. I'm like, just wait, talk to him for a little bit and, and you'll get it. <laughs> so, so let um, me go back to something you said about how, the resources that you were trying to use were unavailable to you. Was that ever resolved? After Air Command and Staff College, uh, which for folks who don't know, that's a, a roughly 10-month in-resident professional military education uh, for Air Force. It's, it's at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. Um, while we were there, that's when my husband got picked up for his active guard tour, and we PCS'd in Kansas, uh, McConnell Air Force Base, uh, it's a co-located facility, so it has REGAP, Reserve, and a guard unit there. Once we got there, we took my husband's orders over to the EFMP office on the REGAP side of McConnell, and they said, oh, yeah. I don't know <laughs> sure. <laughs> no problem. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why they didn't do it down there, but here we go. Um, so that's where we first got Q-coded and um, services opened up. And actually, we were really happy to get... Um, Wichita, well, initially 
let me let me back up. I was not happy to get Wichita, Kansas, because Kansas was never on my list of places. To go. <laughs> I don't think it was ever on anybody's list no. to go. <laughs> I remember my husband called me up, and uh, I was in Costco in Montgomery, and he's like, "So uh, we're moving to Wichita." I'm like, "You have fun with that, darling." Uh, <laughs> I'll see you later. It's <laughs> not be back in Colorado. Um, so. Wow. Uh, but the cool thing um, when we started doing some research is that Wichita has one of the largest world centers for autism care in an organization called HeartSpring. And when we moved there in 2013, um, it took probably about two or three months. Um, you know, we got enrolled in the FMP. They told us, okay, there's all these services um, that you can get. And, and in the meantime, um, my mom had a good friend who her job was as a special needs coordinator at a school. And so I'm originally from Western New York. And so she had me talk with Barb and Barb said, okay, here's what you need to do. Here are the questions you need to ask a provider. Here are the resources you need here. Are, and, and she started blurting out words of things like you need a PEX and you need ABA and you need this and you need that. I'm like, what's, what is, what is all that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know any of those words. And, and um, she goes, you need a sensory room and you need this. And I mean, I, I, I still have the list somewhere because it was just all of this stuff. And so I went in having a little bit of knowledge and in our application for heart spring, because the wait list, again, just like everywhere, the wait list is months and months and months. And I'm like, look, our oldest barely speaks. He is an escape artist within, I don't even want to, I don't even know if it was a week of us getting to Wichita. He got out of the house and we couldn't find him. And we almost had to call the police and he doesn't come to his name and he doesn't know his name and he doesn't talk. And we had to put locks on all of the doors high enough that he couldn't get out. And, and that kind of thing happened in Alabama too, but we were living in the, the family camp. Right. Um, and, and so all the all the campers around us knew that if they saw the kids out and we weren't there, just bring them right back home. Um, he, uh, yeah, so he would get out. Um, Orion, because he wasn't quite four yet, um, all he did to communicate was scream. So mm-hmm. here we are, we're in a new place. I don't know anybody in the state of Kansas. Um, my husband's at a new job. Um, I was in the process of transitioning to my new unit where I was going to be a director of operations. Um, so having to handle a, a big job, um, three kids, no, nobody. And I've got an escape artist and, and one that just screams. And so I remember Ashley Bennett, she was the first BCBA we worked with. She said, I remember reading your application and thinking if we don't help this family right now, someone's probably going to end up dead. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because all it would have taken is Kai to get out in the street and someone not see him. And and it would have been like that. So she was able to rush our application through. And so we only had to wait about three months before they were at the house intervening. And we were getting about 20 or so hours of ABA a week, both in, in the home, in the office, um, they got Kai enrolled in speech. They got Orion enrolled in speech in OT. And for a number of years, it was that aggressive all the time. And it's the only reason we're still <laughs> we're standing as a family. 
Um, well, let me ask you when you PCS, mm-hmm. you know, how does that affect, you know, you've got your mom hat and then you've got your military hat. It seems as though they're like, they're switching, you know, how does that affect your job? Because it it feels as though from what you're saying, and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that you've got the military hat on and the mom hat on, and you're always going back and forth like this. <laughs> is, is that correct? So I will be the first to admit, and I only came to this realization just a few years ago, I did not manage the first 10 years of my kids' lives well. Um, I, I, I didn't. Um, I, was, I was angry at the kids a lot. Um, I mean, I was raised in an angry household, so it was kind of the default parenting setting was kind of yell. But I was angry at the kids for things that they couldn't help. And I didn't realize that. Um, You know, the fact that he's screaming is not a reason to scream back at him. He can't speak. You know, my... Yeah. And and even though we, we received a lot of parent training, I was always very resentful and very angry anytime the school called or anytime you know, a babysitter didn't want to be a babysitter anymore. Not necessarily at them. I was mad at the kids. Right. Oh, why? Like I am trying to work. I'm trying to do a job here. I'm trying to be focused. And now you got to switch hats. I I had to switch hats and I was very resentful and, and I did emotionally take it out um, on myself. I took it out on the kids because again, we were the loud house. I yelled a lot and bless my husband. He's not a yeller at all. And so he was the person who really kept everything calm. He's like, honey, I got this. Cause Oh, by the way, during this time, I also started a PhD program because oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm working. I was like, the kids are little, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, yeah. So I was working three to four days a week. As a director of operations of a unit, our commander was a traditional commander and she lived in another state. So I only saw her on drill weekends. So really I was running things on the ground three to four days a week. Then I would work on my PhD stuff. And then my husband and I would try to manage the kids with all the different therapies and the appointments and, and everything like that. And it was really hard. Um, yeah. And, and I was resentful and I wasn't a great mom and I hated being a parent and I hated being a mom. And so Kelly, um, let me ask you this with the added stress of everything, you've got your job that you're in charge of your, your PhD, everything else. What did you do to take care of you? What kind of, was there any self-care that you thought about or was it just, you're just, stringing on stringing days along, you know what I mean? Where you're just trying to get to the next day, the next day, the next day. Honestly, sometimes the schoolwork was, was a retreat for me. Um, I would usually take, I didn't work on Mondays usually. And I would take that day to just go to a coffee shop and for six to eight hours, I would just do schoolwork Um, or in the evening time. But for the first year and a half that we lived in Wichita, um, I didn't deal well um, at all. And it showed in the job. Um, it was after that first year and a half that, um, I couldn't understand why I wasn't really 
progressing. And I know my commander looking back now, my commander was really frustrated with me. You know, I'm like, I'm getting the job done. I'm doing the things you, you want me to do. Um, but her issue was just how I appeared in the world, probably, you know, a lot of my tone and maybe my attitude. And you were the checking the boxes. You were checking, check, check, check. Yeah, check, yeah check. I was very much checking the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been assertive, but I was probably on the point of aggressive during that year and a half. I'll, I'll be honest about it. Um, and an opportunity came open for me to take an IMA position um, at the Pentagon. And my commander was like, where can I sign? I'm like, well, screw you too. Um, (laughs) And again, that was at the time. Now I understand. I needed to go. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. And oh my God, I think about it. If I was a commander and I had had a deal like me, uh, yeah, I would have been happy to have me go too. Um, So even though I was there for my troops, like my troops really liked me. Um, cause I, I was a bear, I would stick up for them and I was that shield, but anyone peer or above, um, I was a difficult person to work with. And I think it was just all this trying to keep this mask of my home life is not interfering because 10 years ago, that's was still an issue. Yes. You know, oh, she can't handle it because her kids are this or that, you know, the whole woman in the air force thing that was still very, that was present. still a bit. Yeah. And, and I was medical, which is highly a female career field. So honestly, it was even worse because now it's women judging women. And that's not always healthy in the workplace either. So I got this IMA position at the Pentagon, which if you're familiar, kind of means you can set your own schedule. So it was an absolute relief. I went out once, maybe twice a year did some teleworking on the side. I was doing mental health policy for the reserve. So right up my alley, work in policy stuff so I can do research, already my happy place. And <laughs> now I don't have to drill one weekend a month. I'm home all the time. Um, I can really focus uh, on school and stuff like that. So that took a lot of the edge off, which nothing ever works out perfectly because just as the job stuff cleared up, um, stuff with the kids' school started to amp up in a bad direction. Um, we had purposely picked the house that we lived in because we had heard that the schools were really good and we were two blocks from the elementary school. We're like, great, we can walk to school. It's going to be awesome. And they were not set up to deal with autistic kids. And we fought and fought and fought for about two to three years. And finally we went to mediation. We got evidence that one of the special needs teachers was abusing our oldest Um, and we pulled the boys from school and I started homeschooling. Oh, um, you're not the first person I've talked to that have said that. And they've had to, I mean, one person told me she had to go to court. They had to get a lawyer and, you know, she said her, her daughter was doing so well. And all of a sudden she was starting to slide back. She wasn't doing well. She wasn't bringing her homework, her homework. And she said they had to fight to get just exactly what was needed, you know, for her child. And it's like, you have to advocate so hard. And it seems like even in today's society, you would think it's not, it would be easier and it's not. No, no, it was so frustrating to me. And when, and I, and I often had a 
I tried to have a hands-off policy with, with the school because I am not an elementary educator. And after a year and a half of homeschooling my boys, I am definitely not an elementary educator at all. I don't have the patience for it. I mean, as I already said, I didn't have the patience for my kids initially, and now I'm mm, schooling them. <laughs> uh, we were lucky to get in with, um, it was a virtual school in a different county. So even though it was homeschool, there was still... I had a curriculum. I had a guide. We had some in-person like virtual stuff happening well before the pandemic and the therapist now, because the boys weren't in school, they could come to the house and kind of help out and manage. And so that was really great. And one of the only reasons we survived was that the therapists were there. Each boy had one and we could kind of go through our day. And then we had a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the next Mm -hmm. year and a half and then I was getting right at the end of my PhD program. I was just about finished. My husband's like, how much longer are you going to do this? I'm like, I don't think it's going to be much longer. Right. So, cause it was just wearing on all of us. Yes. And luckily at that point, again, we're still in Wichita. Um, my IMA position had come uh, to an end. It had been my three years at the Pentagon. And it was at that time I decided to cross train, um, out of medical and just go a different path and join the guard right there in Kansas. So that's, that was the switch over to the guard. And I knew I was going to have to go to tech school. I'm like, all right, well, we need to figure out something because I'm going to be gone for about nine months and, and we have to figure that out. And the school board in Can- in Wichita, the Wichita school district, there had been a number of big changes to key positions that had been obstacles prior to us getting things done for our boys. Mm -hmm. And I went in with a binder this thick in the summer. And I said, okay, this is what's happening. We cannot go back to our home school. We will not go back to our home school, but the boys need to be back in, in the Wichita school systems. What can we do? And within a week, we had an appointment with a specialist. She, she looked at our files We went and toured two different schools. She made her recommendations after she met the boys and we picked one and it was amazing. And it was all I could do. I remember the very first time I got a phone call from that school. It was on the other side of town. They bust the boys over there. I got a phone call. I think it was from the nurse and I was already on the defensive. And she's (laughs) like, Dr. Imey, nothing's wrong. Like she started the phone call with nothing's wrong with I the boys. I love that. I just have to have questions. And I'm like, oh my God. Every interaction I've ever had with the school has always been negative. Thank and you so much. Fight. For yes, for taking mm-hmm. down my defenses. And it, it was it was great mm-hmm. after that. Um and you know, we got engagement with the teachers, the boys started making progress, um, Kai moved up to, to middle school, and we met an amazing special ed teacher who's still a part of our lives. She's still a friend. And she was the one that said, I think Kai has been miscategorized all this time. And I'm going to fix that. And so she started getting him mainstreamed and moving up to grade level because she saw in him what no one else had bothered to take the time to pay attention to. And that takes and, a lot of stress off of you too. When oh, you know that things are yes. going, you can kind of like you're holding your breath the whole time. And then someone calls and says, everything is okay. 
I just mm-hmm. wanted you to know. And you're like, <gasps> and you exhale. And that's how it was. Mm-hmm. From there on out, the, the rest of the time that we were in Kansas, mm-hmm. anytime the school called, they're like, just want you to know everything's mm-hmm. okay. Or they would say, everything's not okay, mm-hmm. but, you right. know, we either we need you to respond mm-hmm. now or we don't need you to respond. We just need you to know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And And they were awesome. So... Now we're in the pandemic. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> oh, that thing. That thing. So I'm back yeah. from tech school. Um, I'm working full time at the base again. Um, you know, now I'm kind of at the command level. I was filling in for, for a commander and, um, and the pandemic hits. And my husband's deployed mm. out of the country. And it's March. And... It, it was spring break for us. So uh, the kids were already off. The babysitter was at the house. We already heard about this pandemic thing. And there were inklings that we weren't going to go back to school. And babysitter was awesome. She was a gal that lived down the street. Um, so we knew her family. She'd known us for a little while. And her college shut down. And she's like, look, I can come every day if you still have to go to work. I'm like, oh, thank the good Lord. Yes. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to manage. And then, of course, the state shut down and I was home anyway. But she still came over. Um, the whole virtual school was a nightmare. Yeah. There was way more drinking than there should have been for about six months. Right. I think you could say that for a lot of people. Me included. (laughs) And I was so thankful though, that we had had, um, so Melissa Spitzig was the special ed teacher that Kai was working with. Um, she's like, don't worry about anything. Do not put any pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. Do not stress about this at all. I mean, I think she texted me every day. Stop stressing mm-hmm. about school. It's not a thing. It's no worries. And, you know, when she was able to, she'd stop over at the house. Because um, we lived in a really walkable neighborhood. So she would stop mm-hmm. over, check in on Kai, um, like just above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and it got us through. And in that meantime, I applied for a command position in Iowa. And two days after my husband got back, I moved to Iowa. Wow. But you got and through the pandemic. We got you through know, the pandemic. We all got through the pandemic, you know. Yeah. That that was a testament of, you know, whew, talk about <laughs> patience and everything. Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> and another thing I forgot to mention, so um, we were lucky that the respite care program uh, in, in Wichita really got fired up while we were in the seven years that we were there. Initially we didn't have respite care and then it really got fired up. And by the time we left, we had 40 hours a month of respite care. And, um, you know, our, our gal came in, you know, in the evening so I could get a break on the weekend so I could get a break. Um, and during the pandemic, she would even come during the school day to, you know, just kind of give the kids a break for me because I was still trying to work. Right. You know, still trying to do stuff. And so I think compared to what I've heard some other families go to through mm-hmm. during that initial 2020 and even um, the fall school year of, of 2020, we were lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been in my, in Wichita a while. I had a couple friends. My daughter had friends we had resources. So there was some um, s- semblance of normalcy, right? Yes. yes. Um, I had backups. Yeah. Before we go, one last question. 
What would you tell a family that was going through what you were going through in the very beginning? What kind of advice would you give that family? So it's funny. um, My sister-in-law is really connected in her community in South Carolina and she's friends with a grandmother who just took custody of her three-year-old grandson who just got diagnosed. And she started a little group for us and she said, all right, ladies, just start verbal diarrhea, everything. (laughs) she And, you know, with hindsight, my first thing was you're never going to know everything and that's okay. And as long as you're coming from a place of love and understanding, Mm -hmm. it will be all right. And then here's a checklist. (laughs) Yeah. I love that because you, you don't know and you may not know, but you just, every day is going to be, it sounds like it's going to be a little different. And um, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this and um, for telling your story. And I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you. So um, thank you so much for everyone who's been listening. As always, please stay safe. Take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible.